Today we discuss the final presidential debate taking place tonight in Nashville between the incumbent President Donald Trump and the challenging former Vice President Joe Biden. We discuss what to be looking out for, what we can expect, and five key thoughts I have as we head into this evening. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture, where we explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction, and grace in our discourse. Happy Thursday. I hope you all have had a fantastic week so far. You'll notice that today's episode is actually shorter in duration. The reason for that is because I actually uh, I want to give a sort of pre-debate episode tonight, five thoughts to be thinking about in relationship to the debate. I actually debated, um, no pun intended, debated, uh, I debated waiting and doing an episode in its entirety tomorrow, just covering the debate in hindsight, kind of the, the morning after, here's our thoughts on what just took place the night before. But what I decided to do is actually, no, nah, I'd love to give sort of a before and after. So today, I'm going to give a few thoughts, five things to keep in mind in relationship to the debate tonight, things to be looking out for. And then tomorrow, on Friday, October 23rd, I'm actually going to release another episode where we recap the debate in its entirety, as well as pair that with an election series topic. So make sure that you tune in tomorrow to hear uh, the after episode from the debate. Looking forward to that. This has been a big week of content. So if you missed out on any of the content so far, you can go back and give different pieces of this week a watch or a listen. On Monday, I had the video talking about deception and culture, especially related to the lies that our next generation has been told. Uh, That was a a short episode. If you have not had the opportunity to go back and watch or listen to that, please do that. Then I had the honor of sitting with Wesley Hunt on Tuesday. That was an incredible time. He's a true example of an American hero. So I really appreciated that. If you have not had the opportunity yet to go and give that a watch or a listen, please do that as well. And then today, I'll give you a few thoughts on the front end of the debate. Tomorrow, we will recap. So four different pieces of content to engage with this week. I hope and pray that that's a blessing to you. It's election season, trying to do as much as I can to get content out there. And I hope and pray that it's a helpful resource as you explore these important political and cultural topics in light of the season that we're currently in. So with all that being said, let's jump right in. Here are five thoughts I have about tonight's debate, five things that I believe we should be keeping in mind as we are watching. And I do hope and pray that all of you are watching. It's an important time in our nation's history. It's a crucial moment, less than two weeks out from the election. And I think it's important that we're all paying attention to the issues at hand. I'm hoping and praying that tonight is a productive night in that regard. This debate will not only be different than the first debate, for a lot of reasons, but also it'll be different than other debates historically have been in this time slot less than two weeks out from an election. I'll explain in a second. So myriad of reasons this debate will be different. The first is, is that there are literally new rules. So the Commission on Presidential Debates came out last week and they announced that they were actually going to mute microphones during this debate to allow each presidential candidate to have two minute blocks of uninterrupted time. So while Biden's speaking for his two minutes, Trump's mic will be muted and the same vice versa. Now, the the Commission on Presidential Debates came out in a statement and said that the move was designed to ensure a more orderly discussion of the issues. Now, we know that the Commission on Presidential Debates is largely biased. My personal perception, can't know this for sure, but my personal perception and idea is that uh, this is really a biased move against Trump. 
there have been some sort of Freudian slips within their statements over the past few weeks that would lead me to believe that. And so I'm not a huge fan of these rules because I believe that they are uh, overly restrictive. I'm actually not a huge fan on the Commission on Presidential Debates in the first place. And actually, Bob Dole, who ran for president in 1996 on the Republican ticket, who's not exactly a fan of Trump, uh, came out just two weeks ago and said that the Commission on Presidential Debates is completely biased. He said that actually the Commission on Presidential Debates has a few Republicans on it, but none of them are voting for Trump. So there's not one Trump voter on the Commission on Presidential Debates, not one person that's actually for him. I think that's a big problem. I think you need an equal... if you're going to have this commission, you've got to have it equal in terms of representation of ideas that are brought to the table. The fact that no one supports Trump is sort of uh, mind-boggling to me why we'd even have this as the institution that gets to rule this really important piece of our political process. But that's neither here nor there. This is the new rule. This is what they're going to have to abide by. While I'm not a favor of the over-restriction, and neither obviously is the Trump administration, I actually believe that these rules are going to help Trump more than hurt him. Because if you were to look at the first debate, Trump's tone as far as his energy, his sort of commanding presence on stage is a really big positive, but he was not calculated at all in his approach. So he would just talk over Biden every chance and wouldn't let him answer any of these questions. When in reality, if Trump, like I predicted at the beginning of that debate, before it happened, I said, Trump's got to go in keeping his energy, keeping the tone, keeping the commanding presence, because Trump does that well, but he's got to be calculated as far as letting Biden talk, giving him time to talk himself in circles, because we know Joe Biden, two minutes, uninterrupted time off of a teleprompter just does not have what it takes to make it through that repeatedly throughout an evening. He has not shown his ability to do that at all throughout this presidential campaign. And even back in the primary on the debate stage, When Biden would have uninterrupted time, many times he actually cut his own time short. He would say, I don't know. That's it. I'll I'll cede my time. He even said that once. So I actually think this two-minute block of uninterrupted time that will be solely designated to Biden repeatedly throughout the evening about these issues will actually be more hurtful to him and helpful to Trump than Trump even maybe realizes. So We'll see how that plays out, but uh, it's it's sort of a, a pro and con with that rule if you're the Trump administration because you obviously don't want more restrictive rules, especially when you feel like they're targeting you with them. But at the same time, it may be a reverse uh, intended result for the Commission on Presidential Debates if they're sort of favoring Biden because this may come back and kind of bite their candidate more than they think. So there's the first reason this will be different. It'll also be different historically because this third debate generally, historically, is supposed to be about foreign policy. And you'll notice I said third debate, not second debate. The reason I said that is, of course, we did not end up having our second debate, but that debate was canceled. It was not postponed. So it's not like they said, uh, okay, we are basically postponing this debate for a week and we're going to have the same moderator and the same topics and the same venue. That's not what they did. This is still the third debate with the third debate moderator. It's the third debate format. They're not doing the town hall. This is the third debate. And the, historically, the third debate is about foreign policy. Now, they, the Commission on Presidential Debates made this switch last week. They said, we're actually not going to talk about foreign policy, even that's the historical measure. By the way, this is not a constitutional thing. It's not like this is written into our law that this third debate has to be about foreign policy. It's just the historical precedent that that is the case. Because you you want to make sure that you have a well-rounded perspective on the issues as an American voter after your three debates. The reality is foreign policy has not been touched. It wasn't touched in the first debate. It was barely touched in the vice presidential debate. And now the Commission on Presidential Debates said they're not going to touch it in this third debate either. The uh, topics 
at hand that will be covered are fighting COVID-19, American families, race in America, climate change, national security, national security, excuse me, and leadership. So not only do I have a major issue with the fact that foreign policy has been removed, I'll talk about why in a second, but these issues are things that we've already talked about. This was the first debate. We talked about fighting COVID-19. We talked about race in America. We talked about climate change. We talked about national security. We talked about leadership. Why are we going back and doing this again? I suspect it's because they do not want Americans to hear the reality of foreign policy conversations coming from these two uh, candidates' mouths. If you go back and you listen to my episode from last Thursday, you'll hear that these two candidates' positions on foreign policy are worlds apart. And honestly, even many left-leaning foreign policy experts have said, even if they're not a fan of Trump's foreign policy, they'll say, you know what? Yeah, Biden was never right on a foreign policy issue. There's been a lot of economists uh, related to trade issues and a lot of foreign policy experts related to national security and our relationship with our enemies and allies that would say that Biden's really been wrong at every turn on foreign policy for the last three decades. I, I would agree that to be the case. Again, that's my subjective opinion, but I do believe that to be the case. On the other hand, Trump, meanwhile, has had a historic first term. Stood against Iran, got us out of the Iran nuclear deal, stood against China, moved our embassy to Jerusalem, peace in Serbia and Kosovo, peace between Israel and the UAE, flights now from Tel Aviv to Bahrain. I mean, there's all these major foreign policy moves that have been made. And then on the trade side, too, standing against TPP, getting rid of NAFTA in favor of USMCA. These were, these were things that took place underneath the Trump administration, many of which were actually reversals from the Obama era. So... The Commission on Presidential Debates does not want to give Americans clearly the opportunity to hear about some of those successes. And I really think that that's a, a heartbreaking thing because, A, this should be a non-biased process. If you're this institution that's supposed to regulate and moderate these debates, you should be focusing on objectivity and realizing, hey, Americans need to hear about foreign policy Trade policy, immigration policy, our stance toward our allies, our stance toward our adversaries, military spending and where it goes, who we make deals with. All of these factors of foreign policy have a great deal of effect on the day-to-day -day lives of Americans, sometimes even far more than we realize. And yet, the, uh, the Commission on Presidential Debates does not find that, that that's valuable, even though historically it has been found valuable. Again, why do I believe that's happening? Well, I believe it's because that if the the Commission on Presidential Debates were allowed for this to be covered, uh, then it would actually cause the American people to see some really positive aspects of the Trump presidency that the media has not covered. It would also illuminate some issues of the Obama-Biden era that, again, even many people on the left say, yeah, they, they weren't the strongest on foreign policy. In fact, they were pretty destructive on foreign policy. Again, people like forget that Obama started a war without congressional approval in Libya. No, nobody talks about that, but that happened. And so for Americans to see this out on the debate stage, I think is something that less than two weeks out, the Democratic Party and this heavily biased commission on presidential debates just said, nope, we're not doing it. We're keeping it to these issues that we've largely already covered. So we'll see how it all goes. I actually wouldn't think it's the worst idea for Trump to take, you know, if he's got two minutes to talk, take the first minute and answer the question. I'm never a fan of people skirting questions. So I think he should answer the question at hand and then take the last, you know, 30, 45 seconds and say, and for the last little bit of my answer, I actually want to pivot a bit and talk about foreign policy. Tonight, we were supposed to talk about foreign policy. I think it's important for the Americans to hear the issues. Here's what we did in Israel. Here's what we've done to support Taiwan. Just yesterday, the State Department authorized $1.7 billion for Taiwan's weaponry to stand against Chinese communist aggression. That's a huge deal. 
And now that's going to Congress. And so Trump can highlight it and say, hey, I am trying in my administration to support people standing against tyrants all over the world. I'm trying to support the little guy in these regions of the world while they're being oppressed by their neighbors, trying to stand up for peace in regions of the world like the Middle East that have long been hostile. So again, I don't think Trump should bring up this type of stuff on every question that could be tiresome, but I do think that he should interject some of these big foreign policy wins into the conversation because that's what tonight was supposed to be about in the first place. So that's my first observation. Tonight will be a different presidential debate. I obviously hope and pray that tonight is much more focused on the issues. I pray that there's a lot less just kind of bantering, arguing, and instead a lot more really constructive, here's the policy. Again, there were some really good policy points made, um, especially in my opinion on the Trump side in the first debate, but they were so overshadowed by the arguing, by Trump's interrupting, by Biden's rude attitude. Um, So that's kind of my thought there. My second prediction is similar. It kind of tags right along with that. And it's just that tonight will largely be biased. Unfortunately, that is my prediction of the evening. I think this is something that most Americans have come to terms with. I don't think that that would surprise anybody. We saw this in the first debate. We saw this in the VP debate as well. We know that the mainstream media essentially today serves as a propaganda wing for the Democratic Party. And they've essentially said the quiet part out loud. Big tech certainly did the last two weeks with the censoring of the Hunter Biden story with the New York Post. We know that Twitter and Facebook have essentially said, you know what, we're done trying to be objective. We're done even trying to pretend like we don't moderate. We're just going to come out and do the quiet part out loud. We're going to be pretty upfront about this, and we're just going to censor all the voices we don't like. I mean, that's essentially the, the role that they've played in society over the past week, week and a half, two weeks. They played it for a lot longer, but this has just kind of blown it up into the spotlight. We see that mainstream media has chosen the same route. They are refusing to ask Biden tough questions while they spend this entire last two weeks up until the election, hoping that this election is simply a referendum on Trump. Again, I think that's deeply destructive because if you're claiming to be an objective journalist, you've got to be an objective journalist. If you're claiming to be an objective journalist and your bias is flooding into everything you do, you're not an objective journalist. So again, I don't claim to be an objective journalist. There are times when I have more objectivity than others, and I try my best to share the both opposing sides of a lot of viewpoints, but at the end of the day, I'm very upfront about my own personal views. Many of these journalists, like Kristen Welker, who's moderating this debate, claim objectivity, and yet, if you listen to them even more than two or three segments, you learn pretty quickly where their views lie. She is a Democrat. She is very upfront about her Democratic beliefs. And again, I know that journalists have uh, policy perspectives, and that's totally normal and understandable. But you cannot bring that into your reporting if you want the role of a presidential moderator. And I think it's a bummer because there are so many other, other moderators that could have done such a better job in this election season. Sagar and Jetty with The Hill does a fantastic job of criticizing both sides equally. Matt Taibbi, another fantastic journalist. There's even people on the far left that I think would do a really good job because they've been pr- they've proven that they're willing to call out both sides. Crystal Ball with The Hill. She's a great reporter that I can't disagree with more on policy. Yet at the end of the day, she has proven that she is willing to call out and ask tough questions of both sides. Why don't you pick somebody like that to moderate the debates? Hopefully that's something we learn and we implement in 2024. But as long as these major institutions in the society around us are all run with one ideological bent, it is really tough for conservatives to have any sort of objectivity brought to the table that will pressure the other side like they are pressured. So I think that's something that Trump just has to realize going into tonight is that, hey, you're not going to get questions about as much foreign policy because it would make you look good. And also, Kristen probably won't be as fair to you as she will be to Biden, or she'll, she'll be more willing to criticize you than she will be Biden. She'll press you. You'll probably feel like you're two versus one. Just prepare for it and get used to it. I mean, that's really the the message that Trump needs to take into tonight and needs to prep for that. 
And our hope and prayer, my hope and prayer is that Kristen remains objective. I'm hoping that that is what takes place. And I'm also praying that the media coverage afterwards is fair. I pray that there's actual questions about the Hunter Biden emails tonight, as there's more and more information released about this that seems to prove the validity of these emails. Obviously, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered before you can claim that it's 100% true. But at the end of the day, if the media doesn't ask, how are we supposed to know? The Biden campaign has yet to come out and claim definitively that these emails are completely fake and explain why they think it's fake. Give some evidence to the contrary, but they've refused to do that. And in fact, Biden for the last four days has been away from the spotlight. He's not been campaigning. Meanwhile, Trump's been state to state, which again, I I don't quite understand why that's not concerning to more Americans, but that's where we're at. So it will be biased. We're kind of used to that at this point. We've got less than two weeks left. Trump's got to deal with it and got to learn how to adapt and pivot even amidst the biases. Third thought about tonight, Trump's strategy. I think it needs to be strong on tone, but calculated in approach. So similar to what I thought his strategy needed to be the first debate that he didn't quite do. (laughs) I think he needs to be very strong on tone. Part of what Americans love about Trump is his willingness to stand on stage, take command of the stage, and be bold in his tone and fight for what he believes and be very upfront about his convictions. I actually really appreciate that about him. I actually think it's a God-given gift. I just think he needs to learn how to, t- how to channel it. He's a bull in a china shop, and that is awesome. He just needs to learn what china to knock over and which not to. And so for Trump, he has proven throughout the past multiple times that he can do this. It's just something that he's got to implement tonight. Strong on tone. Keep the veracity. Keep the... Uh, the the strong stance on the issues, keep the very commanding presence on stage. Don't don't be weak and kind of fall back and just stay quiet the whole time, but be very calculated. Know when to talk, when not to. When it's Biden's turn, let him talk. Let him talk himself in circles. He's shown that he cannot do two minutes straight without a teleprompter, without misquoting everything, saying he's running for the Senate, saying 300 million people have died of gun violence, all these different things. So let him talk. And if that's Trump's strategy, along with really emphasizing policy in his answers, I think that Trump runs away with this debate. What Trump has to realize is actually that most Americans, a majority of Americans, agree with his policies over Biden. Not on everything, but on a lot of things. For example, there's a Gallup poll that just was released recently that found that Americans' voters' views on Donald Trump and Joe Biden favored Biden on personality, but Trump on policy. So here's what this poll asked. Do you agree or disagree that Donald Trump, Joe Biden has the personality and leadership qualities a president should have? And then the second question, please tell me whether you agree or disagree with Donald Trump, Joe Biden on the issues that matter most to you. On the policy part, uh, well, excuse me, let me do personality first. On the personality part, 44% of Americans, this is regardless of party affiliation, by the way, 44% of Americans agreed that Donald Trump had presidential qualities. So that's the personality part. 49% of Americans agreed that Joe Biden had presidential qualities. So Biden wins on the personality side to the majority of Americans. But look who wins on the policy issues for Americans. Do you agree with who on the issues? Joe Biden, 46% of Americans agree with Joe Biden on the issues that matter most to them. 49% of Americans agree with Donald Trump on the issues. So where Joe Biden wins in Americans' viewpoint on personality, Donald Trump wins on policy. It's what I've talked about a lot on this show. And I believe that we should vote on policy, that personality really should not matter a lot. Look at the uh, presidency of Jimmy Carter. Look at the presidency of Barack Obama. Even look at the presidency of a Republican like George Bush, who was very personable and kind of that figure that is very uh, personality friendly and seemed very presidential. Yet at the end of the day, he didn't move the embassy to Jerusalem. Donald Trump did. He wasn't the first president ever to speak at the March for Life. Donald Trump was. 
He didn't. He's not the one that uh, secured peace for Serbia and Kosovo. Donald Trump did. So Americans are drawn to Trump actually on policy and drawn to Biden on personality. If he can capitalize tonight on policy, if he can focus on the issues that matter most to Americans, and he can say, we are not going to create this federal government overhaul socialist takeover of the United States. We're not going to do that. We are going to stick to fighting for the workers, emphasizing tax cuts so that the middle class are able to be lifted out of this period of pseudo-recession. If he focuses on those issues, Trump runs away with the debate. So that's my third thought. And my fourth thought is this. That was Trump's strategy. Here's, here's Biden's. What I believe that Biden needs to do tonight, if he wants to win, he's got to make this sort of a continuation of his entire uh, platform throughout this election cycle so far. He's got to make this debate tonight a referendum on Trump. Now, again, I don't think he should do this because I actually think Americans deserve answers to what he actually believes about policy, but he probably won't do that because he knows he has the media to back him up. So if Biden can stand up on stage tonight and not mistake his sister for his wife, if he cannot claim he's running for the Senate, if he cannot forget who Mitt Romney was or say that, uh, you know, we're the wrong year that we are or whatever it might be, if he can get through the evening without claiming some of these gaffes. The media will say that it was a major success and look how presidential he was. They'll focus all on his personality and they will make this evening a referendum on Trump. They'll blame him for all the COVID deaths and they will say Biden is our future hero, even though Americans will leave saying, well, wait, what does he even really stand for? Nobody even knows this guy. All we know is that he has a lot of really dangerous people that are backing him. That's not good. Will he just be a puppet to them? So I think most Americans are like, we want to know this dude's policies, but I think that he would have enough of a base and the media to back him up to say, you know what? I'm not going to wade there. I don't want to talk about Hunter's emails. I could get in trouble. I don't want to talk about China. People will see my record. I don't want to talk about some of these issues. I'm just going to make this a referendum on the meanie Trump. I think that will be his strategy. That was certainly his strategy in the first debate. Um, I, I, Again, I think that Biden will have to figure out a way to talk for two minutes straight. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a good look to deflect and only talk for a minute and a half and then cede his time. I don't think that that's going to be a good strategy. So I'm curious to see how Biden will get around that. But I think Biden's play and his campaign's play, the PR image that they're going to want to put across is we are more presidential in, in leadership qualities and in personality. Vote for us because we are going to blame everything bad that's ever happened to you in your life on this one guy that's been in office for three and a half years. I think that's going to be their goal there, and they're going to want to deflect from as much of Biden's record as possible. Again, I think the American people deserve better than that. I don't think that that's a good campaign strategy, but I think that that is what they see as a winning strategy. I could be wrong. We'll see. I just don't think that that'll work. Last thought I have on tonight's debate. I was thinking about this a lot after the first debate, and I actually mentioned this in my debate recap episode. It was called, well, debate number one was interesting. If you have not had the chance to go back and listen to that yet, please do that because I, I think it actually could be kind of cool to compare and contrast even. I, I talked about how a lot of Christians after that first debate were almost emotionally distraught by the experience, the tenor of the evening, this general spirit of dishonor that was in the air, and just this polarized spotlight that was put on the country in our politics. And I, I saw a lot of Christians, sadly, choose to disengage after that. They said like, oh, I've just had it. I'm done. I can't do this. I do not want to watch this anymore. I'm out. I really think that that's the wrong approach. I understand the desire, but it's the wrong approach. It's the wrong approach because if you want to actually change these environments, you got to engage. When we see areas in society that we believe are a problem, that's more of a reason to dig our feet in and fight for it, not to disengage and to say, nope, nope, can't do it. I'm out. If we want to see change, we got to be that change in those environments. That's the first thing. 
This should engage our activity in these arenas more, not less. It should motivate us to draw closer to this environment so that we can be the change we want to see. The second thing is that it's important to, again, remember, I want to reiterate this. We have been far worse in society before. We had a civil war fought, brother against brother, to the death. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people died. And our union was intact afterwards. We chose a future together in order to form this more perfect union. We've had moments in history where brawls have broken out in different chambers of government across the country. We've had uh, a, a vice president shoot and kill another founding father. We've had these moments of history where we have been far worse than just a very hostile debate. So I understand that it's tough to watch sometimes. I understand we live in a polarized environment. But at the end of the day, I think more of that has to do with the media. I think more of it has to do with big tech. I think more of it has to do with the powers that be trying to divide us than us actually being divided. I think if we got a bunch of Americans in a room without media cameras and we just talked to each other, we would find that we actually could have a lot, of, uh, a lot more common ground and a lot more cordial conversation than the media gives us credit for. But then all of a sudden when the media comes in and claims that everything is racist and the media comes in and says that if you don't s subscribe exactly to my beliefs about the world, then you're inherently a bigot. When the media pulls moves like this, it inherently puts a wedge between Americans where there was not a wedge. So that's the media. That's not actually the average Americans in our country. That's not the average American middle class person that just wants to love and live well and live peacefully in their community and treats people nicely. That, that's not them. So we watch a debate like this. We feel like it's pretty polarized and we feel like it's just a big indicator of where we're at as a country. And to a level, that's true. But we've been worse before. It means we engage further, not disengage. And we keep a healthy perspective that at the end of the day, the media does a lot more to fan these flames than even the, the true reality of our political process. The last thing I'll say on this is just that I think it's a good idea that we all have really healthy expectations around who politicians are. So... Donald Trump is a real estate developer from Queens with a potty mouth. We know that. Joe Biden is an octogenarian radical. Not because he's even radical. It's because he's essentially a puppet who's very old. He does not really hold any of his own views anymore. He's essentially just a puppet to the radical wing of his party and in favor of a large-scale government takeover. He is a career politician, the spitting image of one. 47 years, flip-flopped on his views the entire time just to fit what's popular during the time, and now claims that he'll be the change that the country's always wanted. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thought. So you have these two people. They're not our pastors. You're not electing your pastors. You're not watching a debate between the moral leaders of your country tonight. You're watching a debate between two different people that represent two different sets of ideas and policies for the future of the country. So look past personality tonight. Look at policy. Who will actually stand up to Iran? Who will fight for the American farmer? Who will actually protect Americans' school choice? Who will actually protect the issues that are important to you? Whatever that is. Look at them tonight from the policies that they represent, not from the people that they are. This election goes far bigger than just two people. We have to start seeing this election as bigger than just Trump or Biden. This is about the future of our country. And each of these candidates represents two vastly different futures. If you go into tonight in this debate looking for a moral leader or for a pastor, Jesus ain't on the ballot, but his values are. We have an opportunity tonight to vote for values that, or excuse me, we have an opportunity in less than two weeks to vote. We have an opportunity tonight to look for policies and values that align more with the kingdom of God. We're not going to find Jesus embodied perfectly in any political candidate, ever. So we've got to get rid of that. Every election is the lesser of two evils. People act like that's a unique facet of our modern politics. That's not true.
Every election is the lesser two evils because we're dealing with people. So we have to look at what do these people represent. And if I just start trying to criticize all these people because of their own personal character and their sins, I look like a Pharisee. I'm just throwing stones. But in reality, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So look at what they represent. What do they actually stand for on policy? If we go through tonight with that lens, looking for policy, listening closely for it, I think we'll actually find that this debate could be not a traumatic experience, but an enlightening one. Even if their personalities fall apart during this. We could still actually get some beauty out of it because we were able to see, you know what, even if it was a chaotic evening, I actually feel like I understand a bit better of where these two candidates stand on policy issues and the type of future they want to create for our country. Trump and Biden will not last forever, but their policies and their views and their values that they instill, the people that they put on the courts, those will far outlast them. So I believe it's important to keep all that in mind. The last thing I will say in closing this episode, I will say This is somewhat of a pseudo prediction on how the night's going to go. I think that Trump, for him tonight, the sky is the limit. I think he only has room to go up from here after the first debate. Whereas Biden, I think his potential is kind of capped. In the first debate, Biden was hoping to make this entire debate a referendum on Trump, and it's exactly what the first debate was. Biden didn't have to answer much, kind of skirted around the questions and kept just pointing it back to, look, Trump's interrupting me. And that was his entire debate performance. Tonight, he does not have that option. He literally is going to have to speak for multiple chunks of two-minute periods, uninterrupted because the mics will be muted. So I think it'll be interesting to watch tonight. I, I guess if I had to predict, predict I would say that I, I do believe that Trump has a much better standing to go into this night with a, with coming out with a victory than Biden does because, again... For Trump, he has a lot of room to move forward tonight. He has very little room to move backward. Biden has very little room to move forward and a lot of room to fall back from this debate. How much will it matter in the grand scheme of things less than two weeks out from the election? Probably not a ton, but I do think it's important that we're all paying attention because depending on what happens, it could shift the needle with the remaining independent voters or it could secure up some different base points. It could really matter in some of these swing states depending on the issues that are talked about. So I'm looking forward to tuning in and I'm very much looking forward to covering this debate in great detail, the after effect of the debate tomorrow morning. So be looking out for that episode as well. If you have not yet, please leave a positive review for the show. You have no idea how much that helps this content grow. It helps with the Apple algorithm. It's what continues to spread the show. So if you have not done that, you can just leave a five-star review. If you've enjoyed this content on Apple, it only takes a few seconds. That would mean so much to me. Uh, Please subscribe to this content, like this content, share this content with your community if you enjoyed the show as well. It has been such an honor to speak to you. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert.